0: Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018. Episode 232, making your alt-historical setting more inclusive presented by Eric Simon and Shoshana Kessick
1: For five after. Yeah,
2: so... I believe, yeah. I mean, this is... It's Sunday at noon. Sunday we're going to be a lot less formal about things like uh, right. this. Uh, but this is intended to be a workshop. Um, so the, the goal here is um, we're going to talk about... Because uh, for those of you who are in... Because many of you were in the religion panel, uh, you know that Shoshana has done tons and tons of research uh, as part of her design process. Um, and that is something that I also try to do, and I want to open with a just a little personal perspective.
1: We should introduce ourselves. Yeah,
2: well, I was going to do that. As oh, before. okay, great. Sorry. No, go I, go ahead. Ahead. I have a thing. Oh, okay. You thing. got a thing. I was do thinking it. about this over there because uh, this is um, so. Uh, we're doing this is a panel about research and history, and. A lot of the things that we think about in terms of being sensitive and being inclusive have to do with identity and the identity of the writer. I am the son of a German immigrant, and my mom had all kinds of German cultural things happening in our home as I was growing up. Uh, They still pervade. There's, you know, I don't speak German, but German language is something that I recognize very clearly. I am not in any way qualified to write a German historical game, because I have never done a damn bit of research in that vein. So if someone were to say, well, I'm trying to do a German game, uh, and and so I need somebody who's going to really understand Germany in the 15th century, Uh, so I'm going to go ask this guy, because he's the son of a German immigrant, don't do that. (laughs) so uh, one of the things that I want to respect is um, that our design is not just identity it is also interest and experience um, and so we choose what we focus on and and I, I want to respect that and you know, Mendez in, in the other panel said right outside your experience uh, and there are ways to do that and that's what we're going to talk about um, and so uh, I, I, we're gonna introduce ourselves, we're gonna talk about our specialties and maybe a little bit of our philosophies, uh, and then we're gonna try and help you find how to research the thing that you're interested in. Um, and, and very specifically, uh, as, as the question came up in the other panel, respecting your ability to do that. Um, that's, that's the thing that I wanna do. Um, so go ahead and go first. Hey,
1: yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so a lot of you know me, you know, cool. Uh, my name is Shoshana Kassak. I'm a RPG and LARP designer. I'm one half of Phoenix Outlaw Productions. I do a lot of LARP and tabletop design. I freelance across the industry. I've worked on games uh, that are, have historical backgrounds. Uh, I worked on the 7C line for a number of the books, so there's a lot of historical research that went into uh, translating that for like a setting that is based on our world, but not entirely our world, so how to do that drift of respectfully and appropriately. Um, I've also worked on historical games like Keeping the Candles Lit, which is set during World War II, so uh, doing research for things that I absolutely have no idea about is a huge part. Um, uh, I got really challenged when I did... Uh, uh, Seven Sea of the East stuff, like uh, Kitai and such, because my experience with, uh, you know, uh, Eastern cultures is not at all, so stacks of books. Um, and uh, from there I also like to talk about, honestly, representation and, and such, and interrogate uh, sort of my own feelings on it. Uh, I come from a weird sort of background myself. Um, I was, I'm genetically Irish, Scottish, uh, Scandinavian of some sort, and Cherokee. Um, and uh, I was adopted by Romanian, Hungarian, Polish, and Russian Jews. Um, so, I am a w- I have some conflicts um, internally about what I'm able to represent appropriately and what I feel culturally connected to. So, uh, I got a lot going on around this, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's totally mine. Yeah. That's me. Sure.
2: Uh, so, I'm Eric Simon. Uh, I write and design in a lot of different systems, uh, but the sort of my... My personal heartbreaker uh, that continues to occupy a lot of my, my mental energy uh, is a post-colonial steampunk setting called uh, Steamscapes, which is intentionally al- alternate historical, uh, no magic, so that I'm dealing with, as much as possible, interrogating the real history of that time uh, and, and dealing with it, not just in North America and Europe, and specifically not in Europe, um, but throughout the entire world, uh, and, and reversing imperialist uh, tendencies being steampunk uh, as much as possible. Um, so, uh, is as far as the thing that we want to do. Um, you know, my intention was to help you find the ways to, to research the things. Because uh, you know, for instance, if uh, if someone were doing a uh, a Western game, um, uh, you know, as in cowboys, uh, I would be happy to give you lots and lots of research and and uh, uh, Different uh, examples of um, African American, Latino, and uh, even uh, gender non-binary. Um, specifically, the, you know, the one of the greatest trans uh, men, uh, coach drivers in in history, Charlie Parkhurst. Yep. Uh, you know, so the, there there are representations that you can find in real history, uh, and that's what I, I want to help. So that's that the sort of thing that you can uh, look for is well this this. This part of history doesn't seem all that diverse. Help me with that. Right. And that's, that's what we're here for. Um, so so uh, m- anywhere in the world 19th century is uh, my main uh, thing. Um, I'm also, I've done some additional uh, historical research for other things outside of that um, in uh, especially South Asia um, and a couple other places. But those are, uh, 19th century is definitely my biggest focus. Um, so what would you, uh, what, what are your areas of expertise?
1: Lord, um, so <laughs> it's funny that you actually mentioned the Wild West. I'm running a, a in literally two weeks, a Wild West LARP, a Blockbuster Weekend LARP. So I've, I've tackled a lot of doing research now on the Wild West and trying to do that appropriately. And that was a huge challenge, a tremendous challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of talking about um, uh, biblical time stuff. Uh, so going back to those time periods, um, a lot of stuff that's culturally you know, Jewish and such. I've done a lot of research into, at this point, medieval, um, medieval time periods, and also the 17th century. Um, I love doing research on the 1920s and noir, especially because I was doing some work. Uh, ancient Rome is a huge deal for me because I was writing a, a novel about ancient uh, Rome, Romanesque influences on a culture that's actually modern. So I've done a lot of that. Um, so I, you know, and I read ridiculous amounts of stuff about Tudor England and and the War of the Roses and the history of Henry VIII, So that sort of Uh, time period, Joan of Arc, like I I, I tend to focus on specific uh, uh, figures and then just sort of build out from there, Queen Bodica and the, um, you know, the Romans in in Britain, Uh, so I hop all over the place and and tend to get very excited about uh, specific topics, Uh, the rise of the Mossad, uh, Israel history, Um, so I'm everywhere, (laughs) like I go all over, and based on projects I'm working on a lot of the time, it's just, you know, I did a lot for for Seven C was uh, history books everywhere. It was I did work on ancient Egypt. I did work on um, uh, North American uh, Native American cultures like the Iroquois and, and such, and South America especially. I had to do and the Caribbean, absolutely tons of research on on Puerto culture and and previous uh, in uh, I wrote the the which were um, Puerto Rico uh, before colonialism, which is like <laughs> I don't know anything about this. Let's go get a bunch of books and, and research. So. Uh, and hopefully do it correctly. Yeah. So this is where I'm all over the map, really.
2: On the, uh, on the flip side, if, uh, if you are not necessarily researching and want to help me, um, I am specifically looking at South America right now. Uh, I'm looking yeah. at uh, uh, anti-imperialism in, in South America, and specifically uh, making emancipation happen earlier in Brazil, which is a challenge. Does, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's sort of where I am in my, my awesome. thinking. Um, So what are some things that that you folks are working on? Yes?
3: Um, So I'm in the process of writing a tabletop that's um, alternate history, alternate universe, where uh, after World War II, um, it's discovered that shapeshifters exist in the world. Um, And one thing that I'm interested in is uh, in one particular part of the history, um, there is a flood that basically wipes out Chicago. and I have a, a beginning idea for a supplement um, that focuses on like living in the Chicago area. Um, after all this, where system. I live, so okay, I'll great. help you with that. <laughs> um, but I just I wanted to get a sense of like if Chicago was like wiped off the map in an instance, like what are the things that would be lost in Midwestern culture or American culture? Sure. Yeah, I can
2: definitely t- talk about that. I can help you with some
1: directions. In Chicago in that time period if I'm not wrong was like the center of a lot mm-hmm. of um uh political upheavals yeah. and uh fights between uh progressives and, and, and uh a lot of crime and uh um, uh graft and such well, that it
3: wouldn't actually be in the sorry, um, the uh, early like twentieth century, it was actually in like two thousand six. Oh okay, okay
1: yeah. Ooh. Um yeah. That's an interesting time period for you. Yeah, no, I can, I could definitely take a yeah. <laughs> Um The biggest thing that, that you know, to speak from a, a like a, a broader topic is that when you're talking about alternate histories, um, you really need to look at the inciting incident that you're changing, um, and then realize that the ripple effects can be significant. Um, so the fir- also like you're th- you're talking about the, the butterfly theory, right? Like it's, uh, but the further back you go the more the ripples are huge. So if you're doing 2006, it's different than if you were in 1920 Chicago, because 1920 Chicago would change the landscape of the United States drastically yeah. uh, when it comes to politics and, and, and such, and, and the expansion of the United States and such, and World War II, even in an industry. And so these are all things that you just, in every direction, and you have to make those conscious choices about what you touch on and what you don't, because if you try to do everything, you're gonna make yourself uh, absolutely uh, chaotic bananas. And so you have to think about uh, in terms of like when you're changing an instance, right, you're wiping out Chicago, um, how does, you're going to look at like the important things for your game, and you, you can't look at everything, right? Like you're, you, you might want to talk about how does that change the shipping industry, right, or relations with Canada or something like that. But that should be important to your game. You don't necessarily have to put every detail in there. You're not going to talk about like how does it change, I don't know, the filming of a TV series, like why is that important to your game? Like tackle the stuff that is important, and then follow those threads as they go down.
2: The other, uh, and, and so we've talked about inciting incidents. So I just have to do my follow up. Do Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry. I just. With, no. No. That. No. Uh, because it leads to the next thing. Which, uh, if if you are doing something where you're you're thinking about longer periods of alternate history, um, I do a thing where I'm. I, I have issues with just saying uh, that sort of the, the privilege involved in just saying, let's see what happens if, um, and making assumptions from there uh, because I think that it's it's often crapsack and, and they're usually bad intentions, you know, not, not the best of intentions. Um, one of the things that I do with alternate history is I look for target events to avoid. Um, so I build alternate history towards that so for instance i don't want wounded knee to happen how do i build a world in which it couldn't um, right. i want china to win the second opium war how do i build a world where that happens right um that that sort of thing uh so that's uh the you can do you can do it from that perspective and it doesn't have to be um you know I start, I poke here, and now I have to do the work of thinking, well, what happens? And it has to be accurate. No, it's, think of how are you going to get to where you're trying to get to. Be intentional about that. Right. Um, and uh, because so much of history is, is actually a lot more fragile than we think. It's yeah. not I- inevitable, um, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't always take much to, to shift huge events.
1: Um, and w- like, you also, there are sometimes uh, Things that you don't want to violate, right? Like there are. So for example, you might want to change the way that World War II went, but you still want to keep and preserve things like 9/11, which is inviolate to you, for example. So for for whatever reason, it could be inviolate just because you think that that's an important piece of the world's history that you don't want to change, and that's for you, or that it's important to your game that you're designing. So you can still change, for example, who won World War II, but you're going to keep that, and you have to figure out how to sort of get there. Um, I'm running a, a I'm writing a, a setting where uh, America becomes a monarchy, not a democracy, uh, but we're keeping the history of uh, Washington, Lincoln, all these important figures. How are they changed by the fact that they're now King Washington and King Lincoln, and all these things, and how does all of that change? And there were spreadsheets and lots of post-it notes, and, but all of the important things, the Civil War, all these things were important for us to keep. How do we get there? Um, and so um, recognizing how those little changes will affect um, while still getting there is, uh, interesting mental exercise. Um, so deciding consciously, like I think that's what we're talking about. It's yeah. Like you have like I, I echo this in every freaking panel that I do, but it's like game design is the act of making choices, right? So everything needs to be intentional um, because otherwise you're just flopping about and being like, "Cool, it's figured it out." Right. Um. But yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, what else are people working?
1: Oh, well, it's sort of
4: one of two things. Um, which I think one of them was sort of touched upon by the previous discussion. Um, and it's that sort of the overarching uh, antagonist in my world is uh, allegory for uh, the British Empire and colonialism. And I wanted to work into this. I wanted to work into how insidious they ended up controlling most of India with that almost like a bloodless coup mm-hmm. by bidding. Um, bickering the uh, n- uh, like kingdoms against each other and yep. be like, okay, you know, if you give me control and sort of let me take care of your military, I will, I will help you win this war, and then say the exact same thing to yep. the yep. other, and then it's like, oh, guess what? Since I control <coughs> both militaries, nothing happens, and now I own both, of, both of you.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, so what is the question? I just want. Um, <laughs> I just want to clarify. Uh,
4: that was sort of answered in terms of like what, like figure out how to keep which events are like, they have to happen and which ones you could change. Um, And then the second one was um, more to do with, uh, initially I thought when I was writing the world, I went to the whole, um, the native population is very conservative in regards to LGBT uh, issues. And then I read an article about how all those, Conservative values actually came from British Victorians, yep. 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 and it just blew my mind in terms of well, now do I actually write that? Right. Like, what if I don't have to do that?
2: So I, I, because I did exactly that that thought pro that thought line because I, I did the exact same research uh, focus. So I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Okay. Uh, so. Yeah.
1: I think just to add to that, um, this is the one place where, like, there's a hidden history in the world of, like, uh, places where, like, you think that there's a a monoculture, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, one of the things I love researching is, like, where Jews have been and people don't think Jews were. Um, There are stories Mm -hmm. of Jews in the Wild West. There there are Jewish pirates uh, in the Caribbean and even in China. There's the story of the Ethiopian Jews. And the Jewish migration through uh, the Middle East when they were kicked out of uh, um, Judea at a certain point, and like, there, people don't know that there was almost a, an allegory to the Trail of Tears that happened at that point, where Jews had were basically marched into the desert and all died uh, because they were you know kicked off of their land. Nobody knows about these stories. Um, there's a, a mountain full of Jew- basically Jews in China who are being like murdered on a regular basis, and they're hiding in the mountains. Be- these are all stories. They are everywhere. Uh, LGBTQ people, trans people. Um, have been in every culture, but the history has not been recorded or it was destroyed, especially in uh, Nazi Germany when they did so much research and then burnt it. Um, There are these stories out there, and now, thankfully, researchers are reclaiming a lot of it, um, but it's so hard to find, and like there's so many of these mono-myths now uh, or mono-histories that we have to dig through to sort of say, what has colonialism destroyed and what do we have to find? um, Because we want our games to be inclusive. We want our settings to be inclusive. Here's where I break from being too traditional to history um games are great to be historically accurate but recognizing the fact that you also have control over the creation of your world building means that if you say that your setting is uh, victorian england uh, and you want to keep the repression that's in victorian england but still have queer people um like be an equal member of the community and not repressed you can do that like because you control it, nobody's (laughs) gonna come and say, like, you wrote this. There's not a, a and if a history professor comes and is like, that's not historically accurate. You're like, that's great, I wrote this. Uh, It's it's not written in stone. Uh, And if you want to do something else, you go write it yourself. So, um, but you can still keep the themes of repression, but instead of repression in terms of like sexuality and gender, it's just repression in terms of uh, sexual interactions in public and dress and stuff like that. You can shift it and have more inclusivity um, for example, in 7C, I'm talking too much, and we can talk to them in a second, no, I'm sorry about that, um, the coffee might not have been a good idea, um, but, uh, there, no, it's okay, too much coffee, um, but um, one of the things I did when I, I wrote uh, in 7C was, I did, uh, they gave me Avalon, which is one of the major parts of, you know, Avalon, it's England, right, like, you're writing basically, King, Queen Elaine is like King Arthur meets Queen Elizabeth, it's like, It was a huge responsibility, I was very nervous. And then I was like, you know what I really wanna do? Queen Elaine's gonna be queer and poly. And like, I was just like, cool, I'm gonna do this, is that okay? And John Wick was like, please, go ahead and do this thing. His best feeling. And I put it out there and they were like, well, in this culture, would it be okay? And I'm like, nah, she's got a girlfriend, she's got a boyfriend, everything's great, she's happy and fantastic, had kids with fairies. This is great. And like, this game is based on history, right? Like she's supposed to be Queen Elizabeth, the virgin queen. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> because I said so. Um, and because you have that choice, right? Um, and that's, I wrote Sarmian which is Israel and Palestine, Judea that area, and I wrote that it's you know, ruled by a, uh, a, a, a senate basically of the cultures that are there and because quite frankly if I get to write it uh, the Israeli-Palestinian ca- conflict would not have occurred later because like, that hurts me and my soul in places that I can't even speak about um, so I wrote a place where uh, they share the land as brothers based on a, you know, a thing. Yeah, that's, that's super like utopian and, and whatever I got to make that choice. It was backed by my publisher. Everything's fantastic. And I'm happy about that, mm-hmm. right? On another game, I absolutely wrote something else, that it was that there was still this, this conflict and stuff like that. We get to make those choices, um, and it makes me happy that we get to do that because that's part of the art that we're making.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yes?
5: I just wanted to add, um, so uh, my background is uh, history of religions, and my my professor, while it was Buddhism and Tibetan Studies, he, was very um, adamant that we learn basic historical research and not just um, what religious scholars do, which is a little different. (laughs) So we we learned both, and he was very adamant that I know how to be a good um, historical research. And um, one book that I always recommend to anybody who's doing historical research, I just looked it up so I made sure I got the title right, but Hayden White's Tropics of Discourse.
1: Okay.
5: it was the first time that... We're I all like, <laughs> write this yeah. down. Yeah, it's... I, I I like to think that I was pretty like smart and good at research before I got to that class, and then I read that, and it was like my mind was blown in ways I'd never really thought about. And it's something I think that we do talk about, but it's about meta-history, mm-hmm. and the fact that what is written is from a perspective. There is no such thing as a completely <laughs> objective history, and... The only time that that exists is if there's a chronology, and even then, what is left out is just as important as what's put in.
2: The mm-hmm. myth of historical truth is yeah, Exactly.
5: <laughs> and <laughs> that just like.
0: Name
5: it again? Uh, it's Tropics, the Tropics of Discourse, yeah. and it's a bunch of essays, and it's by Hayden White. He has a Hayden number White. of books, Point but that's the one that I. I mean, feel free to read any of them, I'm sure. But um, that's the one that I've read, and that's the one that I felt was approachable because it's a bunch of little, like, small topics. You're not just reading a whole
1: like big uh, mono, monogram. Well, one of the great places, sorry I interrupted you because I wasn't looking, sorry. Um, but one of the uh, the great examples of looking at that, if you really want to get an example of the mono myth and how it really messes with you, look at the story of Jesus. Um, so if you really want to get some some weird perspectives on stuff, so start with looking at the historical, uh, look at the Bible, go to look and read what the Bible says about Jesus' his crucifixion, that whole story and how it's, you know, look at all that and then go and look at the Roman sources that they have about that time period and then go look at the historical sources about what Judea was like from the Jewish perspective at that time period um, and you will have three very different stories and three very different ways of interpreting the story and then look at like what the monomyth has become about that and how it is interpreted in current culture. That will give you a concept of like one of my favorite things from a TV show that I love, which is Babylon 5. There is an idiom that they say in there which is truth is a three-edged sword mm-hmm. um, and basically it's like you know you will know but it's it's one of the best ways of looking at it is that the perspectives of different cultures on the same historical event will give you an idea of okay you have the choice about which direction you want to go with with this but understand especially in your own games this is I think a huge thing is that the cultures in your own games will have different ways of looking at historical events so if something happens from one perspective Another culture will look at it differently, and baking that into your game makes for really great conflict.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, is anybody else researching anything in particular? I want to try to spend half of our time at least uh, sort of doing, uh, you know, kind of small group work. Because I'm a teacher and I have to think that. Julie, yes.
6: mm-hmm. um So uh, I entered into a hyper focus phase over the course of this weekend, and this game setting has long- lodged into my head and will leave. And this morning informed me that now I need to look up iron mining in the 19th century in the United States. Word-ish. I didn't know I was writing about, but I guess I am now.
1: <laughs> it's a great it's a great uh, topic. Miners in the United States, and yeah, everything is yeah. really interesting. So, okay. so
4: that's, that's
1: What's your question? Uh, do you have a question? Um, so I think we're like just,
4: I was, yeah,
2: so I was trying to get a sense of people's topics, because oh, okay. so, uh, I figure, you know, we'll split and you take yeah, some yeah, and not Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's do it. Um,
5: so yeah. I don't have something I'm researching, but if anybody wants to include food or other cultural Which things you should, or religion, f- mostly my focus would be um, ancient India, um, early to medieval Tibet and North India, and early Chinese
1: history. Cool. Okay. We haven't talked to you guys back there. So. I just thought it was fascinating to
2: Well, so, I mean, if, yeah, what?
0: And uh, my setting is, uh, I like to work with my players. So long ago, when I started, many years ago now, when I started uh, my uh, campaign, I ended up creating this setting based on what they were interested in, because I was interested in the idea of creating... Uh, a setting that was intentionally fictional, as in understood that you are playing a character in a historical fiction that happens to be in a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. You are you are playing in a Bernard Cardwell, uh book or something along those lines. And from that, I one of my friends, uh, and I have three people in my party. Between them, there's four postgraduate degrees. Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, um, maybe almost five. I don't know where five is. Uh, but uh, we end up playing this alt-history version of, of a near-world, kind of a powder-punk version of the Napoleonic Wars, actually specifically because of uh, uh, the, the one who really had the most interest, and the first interest was in the Sharps books during the Peninsular War, We're talking about yep. Brazil falling earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, and So this was just a workshop meet here, interesting ideas, to because I'm now working on a system in Part of me understands that I'm working on a game engine and part of me understands that I'm working on a setting. yeah um, uh, So far I've just heard good things, the only bits of advice you you know the only thoughts I've had so far is that like I perhaps as a crutch like to lean a bit on the idea that no you are in a fiction right now and sometimes when a character when a story ends I'm gonna say, okay, do you like the direction this is going? Should the next adventure be a sequel to this book? Or do you want these characters being written by somebody else? And we can take a different adventure now. Yeah. Um, and also leaning on the idea that adventurers, you know, main characters in, in gaming, are extraordinary. So that allows you to say, hey, you don't have to pretend the suckiness of Victorian yeah. uh, 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 sec- sexual phobia in general isn't there. You're the exception fighting against it. The Do you want to talk about? Yeah, it? so
1: that's a that's a really difficult thing uh, for for me to think about. So there's there's this idea of exceptionalism that comes into a lot of fiction, which is you know uh, uh, one of the examples I have is like Laura Croft, right? Like when she was originally introduced, it's like in video games there were like no women protagonists, but she is the exceptional woman in the story or the in history. It's you know, there's uh, one of my favorite uh, is the, Freddy, the Miss Fisher uh, mysteries, right? I love that show. Uh, but it's basically set in like the 1920s, and she is a woman who does all these incredible things. Um, and so, but the problem is, is that that doesn't really allow you to interact with um, it. It sets a weird, uh, I, I don't know how to say this, but it sets a weird um, idea that you're dodging the actual issues. Um, by saying that these adventurers act, act outside of the box when that, you know, that really is dodging the history in a lot of ways and that's not necessarily a terrible thing if that's what you want to do um, but it w- it might actually be doing a disservice to the work that you've done to like create these histories in the first place
0: Well, again a part of it is uh, by intentionally having it be historical fiction but first of all, interpretations of history can shift, sure. so if I it, it, it gives me uh, leeway to say, "Wow, this whole storyline we had kind of came to nothing." So that was just something written by like a hack author in the twenties. Cool. That was, uh, but I, I, I'm absolutely cognizant of that, and I'm not. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. there is nothing built into either my system or my world where right. we are not equal. However, that sh- I'm just saying that uh, there. are... There is some value in getting to fight the patriarchy instead of pretending yes. it wasn't. Oh, yeah. There. And, and yeah.
2: absolutely. What I, what I want to, to say, and this is sort of getting onto a uh, topic from earlier, is um, the idea that these adventurers are the only exceptions right. is something that I want to encourage uh, getting away from. Um, because generally, when there are exceptions, there are movements of exceptions. Yeah. And uh, being able to tap into that as a community is a strong thing. Um, you know, there are some, uh, getting back to the Wild West, there are some African-American uh, cowboys that people do know, mm-hmm. and th- it's like, um, oh yeah, th- and they think of, oh yeah, th- there are were, there were some great black sheriffs out there. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of Bass Reeves. Uh, but uh, uh, look up Bass Reeves, best mustache in the West. But um, yes. uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, but the thing is, black, uh, cowboys were like 25 to 40 yep, percent of yeah. the the industry, yeah. um, and then a, a bunch more were uh, Latino, and like turns out that the the idea of white cowboy is actually the the minority, and yeah. and it's something that we we need to uh, so so having this idea of uh, yes you are getting out of out of the the oppressive thing and you're fighting against it that's cool. Show other people doing it too, yeah. and, and that's to that yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that. I just want to, um, I because I'm a huge Howard Zinn fan, so I'm always a believer in movements, not people. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so yeah. Um. But that's that's how I that's how I think of things. Um, yes.
5: I just wanted to bounce off of that on the idea of um, exceptionalism in movements. Is often in history, if you do say you're doing some research. Um, my my dissertation topic was on this one deity that is said to be the mother of the head of a school of Tibetan Buddhism, but then she becomes deified, and so I was trying to do research on her history, which is like non-existent because it's supposed to take place in like a dark age period of Tibetan history where n- we have no written materials for. It. But I was able to find a different exceptional woman who we do have some information that she was a teacher during this time period. Of a similar lifestyle and so when i found that i was able to look for other ones be like there is every chance i can't say for sure that this now deity was once a woman who was here but there was an entire culture around women having power Mm -hmm. in these dark ages that was then wiped out when buddhism came um a different wave of buddhism came through tibet
1: there's a there's a really good example of that in in the wild west also which is the discussion of uh uh, sex workers and especially women sex uh-huh. workers and like the the narrative has been re- rewritten that basically sex workers were vulnerable only and, and all these things when in fact there one story came out of a town and I think it was Wyoming where basically not only did they own the town effectively because they controlled all the money in the town they became the wealthy landowners of the town and then basically said we want the vote in town and if they were the first place in the United States where women got the vote and when the state was actually stateified. They actually grandfathered it in and they remained the only place that had women uh, having the vote, uh, even through until women finally got the vote. Um, but then, when, you s- when people heard that story, uh, histori- especially historians into that time period, are like, this was actually not unusual, but you guys <laughs> didn't know about it and rewrote the stories. So, like, these movements existed, but we have to just unearth them and, like, dig them yeah. out. Um, but what also um, exceptionalism does one thing. Uh, which I think is is difficult for characters, which is sometimes people don't want to play the exceptional. They wanna play somebody who's deeply embedded in the patriarchy and gets to interrogate that. And you can have a party that has the exceptional, but then has the person who's embedded in those, in those structures. And that creates a really great dichotomy among the, the player characters that gets to interrogate the stuff that you're talking about. But if everybody is exceptional, then it's sort of like what Syndrome says in-, in uh, if, everyone's super, no if everyone's super, nobody is, yeah. Like you don't get to explore those things if everybody is super. So like giving space for people to not be uh, as well and to be deeply embedded in the patriarchy or whatever that it is of the awesome. history. Yeah. What's that? Sorry.
5: It's no. Also, it's also the idea that like if you're the exceptional person in your party and your party is off doing whatever adventure you're doing and you come across this other exceptional person who's like equal to you in their exceptionalism. And then maybe you help each other out. And then you go off on your own way and then you never see each other again. It's fine because that person being off exceptional somewhere else in that world because the exceptionalism has to spread so that the movement can spread. With them. Right, it's not just one spot in the world. It has to spread so you, every exceptional person can't just band together. You have to spread yourselves thin so that everyone can see what they can do.
2: Yeah, yeah. spread
1: the story. Yep. Yeah.
2: Um, so uh, let's uh, let, let's sort of get focused and, and help uh, individual people. So. Uh, people who have, I I believe it was the three of you who had specific things that you were researching and um, if you want to uh, throw in. Um, So uh, we'll I'll slide over here, okay. uh, and then you can gather up here with Shoshana unless you want to move away from the microphone so that you're I'm not fine. No, uh, I mean, I'm
1: fine over here if you don't mind <laughs> that,
2: that way, if we have a conversation happening here, there's something for the recording to, to pick up and, and people can... And listen. if
1: people want this recording to not happen later, Andy, we can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking to the microphone. So, yeah,
2: uh, so... Given our, our various areas and yeah. what we've chatted about, come join us. Yeah, if I
1: you want, if you want the really hyper person, I'm over here, um, <laughs> like the the caffeinated human. Um, I love caffeine. You love caffeine? Come on over here. Yeah, I'm also here. caffeinated. Caffeinated. So we. This is such a bad idea. So uh, much caffeine. Yeah, let's talk.
6: Skip my middle panel of the day to get a mocha instead. It's the
1: it's the right life choice. Yeah. It is yeah, so all like the stuff. So. So, too, yeah, segment, like, face I would love stuff. to talk to you. I love this idea of, um, I want to talk about, like, your, like what's your n- intent with uh, uh, with this sort of, like, are you just listening or do you have an idea for stuff?
5: I'm actually just listening because I so haven't really broken out into actually writing yet. Sweet.
1: So yeah, if you have any questions, we can talk about, too. Um, so, 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 <laughs> so, yeah, what do you think, what are you trying to do with the setting that you're setting up? So,
6: um, overall, the setting is like a... Um, fey apocalypse kind of um, thing where Kay. like, the, so, um, it's like very scattered communities. And I decided like when I was writing most of it yesterday, like, time is kind of wibbly wobbly, and that's fine. And I'm like, I want to give the protagonist a source of iron. So, let me look up iron mining in the United States because this is most most of these areas are in the United States, I think. Space is also wobbly, so that might sure. change. And I'm like, okay, so. There's some iron mining. Hmm. Most of the iron deposits in the United States are kind of depleted at this point. At this
1: point, yeah. At this point in the United States, they've been dug out.
6: I've established that time is wobbly. Maybe time is more wobbly than I think. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the mining settlement in this world is actually from uh, an earlier time period when it wasn't depleted. And then I'm introducing a whole bunch of cool historical stuff that I do enjoy playing with. And then I'm like...
1: I know nothing about iron mining. Shoot. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so the one thing that I, I would suggest is, is, like, first, A, you can you can go and decide, like, Michigan. how much of that is historical. Uh, like, here, historically. like and, and, and the, the iron mines don't exist, have to be tapped in, right? Like, you can say specifically uh, and, and that, that you don't have to be, like, wibbledy wobbly timey wimey. Uh, you can just say the U.S. had more, right? And that's the easy way to solve your problem.
6: It does... Having a be historical does solve a different problem, which is I'm a, it's an apocalyptic setting and most modern mining equipment requires a lot of power. Yes, it does. Yeah. So I fix that problem by having it be equipment that didn't rely on the same kind of power. Sure. Um, so it's different kinds of different kinds of problems. But I kind of um, it uh, it opens up some interesting aesthetic stuff. Uh, so that it's not just um, you know, the po- post-apocalyptic modern Americana, sort
3: of yeah. which is like we've that's been a there. cool
6: aesthetic. I like yeah, that aesthetic, so we but uh, we' lot of that aesthetic. And, yeah, and yeah, especially like nineteenth-century yeah. stuff tends to blend really well with like so weird face stuff. Oh yeah, the like Art Deco
1: like style. I mean, aesthetically yeah. alone. Um, but what's interesting, what I think is interesting, is that if you look at, you know, mining culture in nineteenth century, like in the United States there's a lot of yeah, political and socioeconomic stuff that you're looking that. at, um, so especially among humans, and if there's now a post-apocalypse so on top yeah, of that. Uh, so so that one of the uh, things that I did some research about when I was talking about like Wild West stuff mm-hmm. was talking about mining and, and such, and really, uh, so mines, uh, mining culture was the place where people went to, as one of the things when immigrant, immigrants came to the United States, there were a few industries that basically ate immigrants alive, and some of it was building cities like in, in New York. Uh, some of it was um, the railroads, obviously going across the country. For my
6: family up in New England, it was the mills. It was the
1: mills. Yeah, it was in the, in ju- industrialization in general, or agriculture, uh, but in mining especially, uh, in places like Appalachia and, and you know across the United States. If they found a mine and they sunk a mine, uh, it was generally sunk by you know individuals who found it, um, and then uh, those people would become exceptionally rich. <laughs> Uh, and or um, a land baron so would hire people uh, to just go in and start so mining wise, and they would control the land and people would get a cut and uh, because the theme, of that, of that you, you develop these preposterous like the uh, economic differences between people and so you had the the people who were on the top who controlled you know the, the, you the product like that. they were in charge of the mining that? camp but the miners were the is ones who were actually the proletariat who was doing the job. But they would only pull a small percentage. Urban, like if they pulled out, uh, you know, almost 100 percent of what so they were pulling um, out was going to the to the company. So to and then, is, uh, depending on how nice mean? the the the, the um, boss was, the uh, they would get a percentage yeah. of what it was. Um, so there was, was also, but but so they understood that uh, they uh, did not own the land. Like most of these mines, they were just people who who were just, practi- it, it practically started uh, becoming uh, like a, a noble serf place in a, in a lot of places. Um, and there's interesting Chicago stuff that happened in the 19th and, and early 20th century with unionization, uh, uh, trying people uh, trying to unionize in, in many different parts of the industries, uh, but the fights in uni- unionizing in, in mining was very difficult uh, because again, they would just throw them out and it was violent. Like these conflicts were violent, people died. Uh, building happened. unions so um, like on the top of that um, units, like, mining yeah, also like, was incredibly dangerous it's still unions incredibly unions. dangerous yeah. um, and so well, we're talking about uh, all men all especially and, uh, uh, you know living in these mining camps other, uh, uh, towns would spring up around these mining camps where these guys were basically getting up early in the morning, going down into these mines all day, coming back out, going back to their families, and most of the families lived right nearby, um, and they're living under black lung, effectively, because they were underground, eating these gases all day long sickness yeah, was rampant, and they were hiring people America, who um, were crouched, oftentimes crouched, of all so different ages be before crouched. the unionization kicked in, so in the, especially in the 19th century, yeah. you're talking mm-hmm. about kids as young as eight yeah. were being in these mines, and they were employing them yeah. to Definitely. climb down into the smallest holes to see if they could find new veins of stuff. So, so. Kids got killed yeah. all the time, yeah. um, and they were, you know, uh, uh, and because this town was usually around York, the mine, and everything was around Boston. the mine. The mind controlled see, the town, so uh, they, they would control things like the general store. You would have to Chicago buy only from the general products. store. That's why if you ever heard like the term, so the, the company it's store, it's <laughs> you know, they would literally have to buy their entire lives from the store uh, that the company controlled, and if you didn't have the money and you needed food, you actually had to take so out credit, and at that point, you owed the company you worked credit. for, so they would just stop paying you, oh. and you were effectively a slave to them. So like, because they pay, you know, like they owned your house. So you know, you're paying rent to them. It's they easy. owned the land. They owned everything. They literally owned your life. And then if you owed them money and you couldn't get out, because you sometimes your kids would inherit the debt. So you were literally living generation to generation. Yeah. And that's where you get these mining cultures yes. now, especially uh, yeah. where <laughs> some people, where mines now are really in danger in the United States because they're all played out. And, you know, industry and, and technology have shut down mines. And basically a lot of miners are losing, uh, especially like rural, these rural areas are becoming really, really poor because the mines are shutting down. But you'll have people who are there who are like, we're fourth generation miners. We've worked for the same companies in the same land for four or five generations going back to the 1800s. Um, well, um, we're company men, right? We're company people. And that became a point of pride for a lot of people uh, where it was part of their identity that they're th- part of attached to this land in such an intense way. Oh, that's your, wait, this is mine. This is not yours. Nope. You okay. Yeah, so then, okay. Then this is. Apologies. I didn't drink it from it, so it's. Um, we're
3: politics,
1: good. So uh, you're talking so about these, like mining money, for me especially. It's such a because it's its own culture, consumer. right? And so you get people, especially now that you're connecting <laughs> into this like idea of you know iron is dangerous to fed, super dangerous. Um, but you're talking about people so who have uh, humans who have been working this land for. For generations who oh, feel such an intense connection to, to, to the, the mines well. and to the to the um, industry and um, and that it, generally is, generally it is it uh, is theirs like they identify and their and lives by, and by and the, the and coal dust that they and that and they, and they and not and the, and the and dust that they inhale the mining equipment they their sons will work there their daughters will work in the town and that's that is their lives and the idea of somebody coming in and taking that away or using it in a different way is something that you can really play with and the fact that it then gives them power, potentially, over this other race <laughs> yeah. of creatures is interesting because it flips it on its head. These bosses now control an army full of people who are loyal to the mines, who now have a weapon against you know, these fae. Like, what does that turn into? These camps are now really more, fe- could potentially be more feudal, could potentially be a source of like power in the area. A new movement right, that could be really terrifying oh, right okay, that's, that's um, uh, well, but also recognizing that like, like mining world, in that time period unless yeah, you know especially because if it's like, a post-apocalypse yeah, and like order, uh, resources or are or scarce like, mining is already dangerous, dangerous yeah, right yeah, like we have like, miners who not, get trapped yeah, now yeah, today who yeah. are stuck underground for months while you try to rescue them and they can die really easily the inside of the earth is a terrifying dangerous place if it's in a post-apocalypse where there's even less equipment and even less stuff to help rescue people you're talking about an industry that is desperately happened, dangerous. And, uh, you know, you can imagine, imagine, like, horrible things that they would do to and potentially get what they need. Like, life could become a lot cheaper trip, if they're trying to pull something that important out of the ground. Um, so it can be pretty freaking dark. I mean, like, back in the day, they sacrificed people all the time, you know? Like,
5: so in this kind of world where... And They're really scrounging for resources. What else are they willing to do to get that?
1: Right, like uh, you know, early mining. Unfortunately, when slavery in the United States was a thing. That was pretty much it, you know. Like you know, early mines were were, you know, and or they just didn't care about immigrants. Like man, they would they would bunk miners. Uh, there are stories about miners that were bunked a hundred to a bunkhouse, like living on top of each other. And uh, most of them didn't speak English because they were all immigrants. And they didn't even bo- they're like, here's your thing, go in there and do the thing. And if the mine collapsed, they didn't even bother going in for them. Whoops, the shaft. And that was it. And like people disappeared that way. Whole families like were lost. There are towns where mines collapsed and the entire town fell apart because of it, and the women and children who were left behind. That's a whole other story, right? Husbands husbands would die and the wives and children would be beggared, literally, because that was the only source of income. Maybe the wife was making some money as a seamstress or a teacher or something. Yeah, but they were limited, really, because they weren't allowed to work in many fields uh, or they were working in the general store or something like that. But again, they... O- but the amount of female jobs was
5: severely undernumbered the amount of women themselves, so they're going to be left to poppers once the...
1: And they start to death. Lines. They start to death in winter, and they would go to the company and be like, please help us so we don't die. And they'd be like... Go find another husband. Like, that's literally, like, people died all the time from it or had to go to another town and try to get out if they had the money to do that or they sent their kids to work in the mine. And at that point, you're, you're sending your children potentially to death just like their parents.
4: And it, the moms and the daughters started having to take the savory jobs because it's all they could do to put food on the
1: table. So it was a spiral for a lot of people, and it really created almost a, a, a medieval... Style One of, 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 of things where the bosses added, were the uh, the, so the, said, the, the lords and these people's lives were in their hands, uh, uh, and they were tied to the land 1840s, by by de- by, by capitalism. You know, almost
6: less control than in medieval um, times that's, because, that's like, that's if you're that, uh, so you know. You might not have the time, but, like, you can grow your own vegetables in whatever little patch of land that you have as a surf in your spare time. You can't mine in your spare time. No. Like, that resource is locked down.
1: Because it doesn't belong to you. The land belonged... The idea is that the landowners owned the land, and whatever came out of the land, because it's theirs, belonged to the landowners. And whatever they gave to their people, that was it. It's like, oh, I dined to give you the crumbs of this gold, go sell that, and then use that money to buy things from my store. Like there was, no, the there was no there was no freedom, say, and if people and tried to leave and they owed a debt, um, they would get dragged back, and potentially thrown in prison, uh, because you know they left a the debt behind. Because back then, debtors' prison was like a major deal, and then you had to work it off as a criminal. Like and you know that it it's, it was a horrible system, and it pervaded. It like unionization is really what stopped a lot of that, and still didn't because a lot of these towns are still controlled to this day and owned. by these, like, big families. And then, here's the sad part, corporations came. And they started buying up these mom and pops. And then industrializing. And once that happened, they started firing these miners who have lived there forever. And the towns are now falling apart. So, depending on how you want to structure it, there's a lot to play with here in terms of how important this resource is. And it is. It sounds like incredibly important in your setting. So, so what can, power structure uh, so you, you build around that it can really make uh, humans interesting in this uh, setting, those um, and it's and you said 19th so century like you're, where so um, in the middle of the 19th century so are we talking you mean,
6: about? I haven't figured that out. I'm feeling it's going to be looking at my research and finding yeah, where this is, is this where is this most interesting I mean, for what I want to do with it, mm. and then go from there. That's usually how I narrow down my research.
1: Yeah.
6: Or maybe even where just it just fits, fits most in the timeline.
1: Right. Um, how many, how, how much of American history are you sort of holding on to from that 19th century? Um, and, and make that I don't know. Okay. I, I, setting,
6: because I tend to get caught on um, tiny butterfly it, it effect things when I try to do stuff with research, because um, uh, yay ADD and uh, research, I deliberately, when I realized what direction I was going with this story, I was like, okay. I am deliberately building a setting where I can put stops for myself of, like, and this has been messed up by Fae Magic, or this is just gone, because the the characters, the, characters the, the playable characters as I'm writing it are human. Okay. So they don't know how half of it works. Uh, right, okay. <laughs> which lets me build in changes or gaps where it works for the setting and for logic and for my own sanity and then once I have the basics down I can go back and be like okay and make sure that the internal logic of the story actually keeps working so I can take as much or as little as I want Right, Uh, and and you're
1: also giving the the GMs the space to do that themselves Yeah, I want to
6: specifically write like because it's going to be like kind of pocket settings within this weirdness kind of in the way that like a lot of LARPs are set up because I really like that idea of the little insert communities. Yeah. Um... And so I want to specifically have like a guide in there to be like, here are the things to include if you want to make up your own one of these. Totally, yeah. Because I like when I have freedom to do that in games, and I want to include it in the games I make.
1: Yeah, and honestly, it'll make you less crazy about, like, uh, I try not to use that word, but make you less... It's a hard um, one to get rid of. It really is, because technically it does mean exactly what we're saying, which is it will make you lose it trying to... Um, trying to define to too much detail about your setting
5: and micromanage the characters yeah
1: and micromanage the GM's abilities right, to create at their own table like if like because okay. I often say this to people if you want to do that write a novel right like what we're doing is creating a toolbox for people and so if you're creating a historical toolbox and a societal toolbox that you can give them and you make the decisions what those boundaries are by picking what the alternate history looks like um, yeah. you set that groundwork that's, but if they want to um, then go and say well I really want to tell a story about this small mining town uh, 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 where like the these land barons are like taking I've over been, and I've whatever, here's my research I'm going to go do that research that's their job, like they go and do the research themselves your job is to just give them the tent poles um, and that sets the setting and the, in the, in the, in the. But matching it also I think to the themes of your game is going to be really important so like looking at the thematics of like what you want your history to tell and like, what what is important about the changes that these Fey make yes. to the world? What is important that these these humans? So why, in, like, why change history this way? What story are you trying to tell there about these humans living in this setting? Like, is it that they're living in this world where they don't understand how things have changed, but they're just trying to survive it? Um, and or is it a story about them trying to? Like, make peace with their world. Like, what is the verbs of this game? Is it exploration? Is it. Yeah, that's one of the things I learned in grad school is like every game when you're looking at uh, designing a game, (laughs) even designing a mod for your own table, what are the verbs? Are people jumping? Are they running? Are they investigating? What's the INGs, right? And if your game is about them um, uh, Um, diplomatizing, (laughs) I mean, like, with the Fae, or are they. Uh, fighting the Faye like influence. Um, is is it you know pearls? them trying to yeah. understand? <laughs> what do you want to give to the players? And, and and it doesn't have to be one thing. It like usually like games that narrow down those exist. Like I want to explore. You know, there's a game that was this weekend that was the, called the Abortionist. It's about like abortion, right? It's about like this, right? It's a, it's a small narrow world in which you know it's the modern world where we're talking about abortion in that modern setting. Right? But if you're creating a world like this, it is a world that you're creating and players will have options of different things to do within that world. You don't want to just tell them, well, I have created this entire world for you with this like incredibly lush atmosphere, but all you can do is like go and mine in a mine. That's generally what the GM does, right? Like that's their job is to say, Well, this play session or this chronicle is gonna be about this mining town. Right? Your job is to create Everything and give them world, lots of things to do. Um, so your verbs can be many different verbs, and they should country, be if you're creating something big. Microcosm games, state, fewer verbs. Things, macrocosm that, worlds, that lots of verbs. Uh, and that's how you give the options that for that, that, um, creating a toolbox um, for a lot of different stories. Like that's what makes AD, games live, like live like AD, honestly, in larger terms. It's really like White Wolf AD, versus, AD, like the abortionist right like that's the that's the way that I sort of look at it so, so what do you see your verbs being for this game I just have to I'm keep an eye on the I'm time I'm
6: still
1: oh God's yeah. almighty yeah.
6: Short version okay. is I'm still figuring it out because I came up oh, with this shit. idea in the middle of the queer world building panel on Friday. <laughs> okay. I have been hyper focused, figuring out what the heck I'm doing yeah. for the last two <laughs> yeah. days. Yeah. In between panels. Yeah. No, but also it sounds nice during panels. I
1: freaking love. You know, I wrote. Uh, I'm writing <laughs> Wanderlust, which is like Faye in space. <laughs> so the notion of taking like Fae and like how their mythologies change the world and interacting with humans in different genre settings is super interesting to me. And I, I so. love
6: apocalyptic stuff. But I'm... So a the kind of research that I like saying that I'm doing isn't science. Isn't no. So yeah, trying to do, never. like, yeah.
1: realistic... Magical apocalypses. Like, yeah. So yeah. there
6: aren't enough magical apocalypses. There are a lot of unintentionally magical ha- apocalypses where you're like, this wouldn't have worked. Um, there is a
1: great comic book that just started a few months ago. There are a couple of graphic novels out of right. Um, it's called The Realm. It is by Image Comics. And it is about what happens if a, 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 a fantasy kingdom, a la very D and D style, uh, were to uh, breach into our world and cause an apocalypse. And uh, it is basically writing d and D campaign that is post-apocalyptic in our world. Uh, so like dragons come from the sky, and people play post-apocalyptic human clerics in our world using like you know their own their own like powers of like, but they're clerics in the terms of like their uh, medics and stuff like that, right? That are modern. So it's a really interesting mashup that has. Like liches and like all this weird shit, cool. but also like people yeah, going through New York room City room that is destroyed and, and I mean, falling yeah, apart. I'm so it's a fantastic comic book like to take a look at. I think. There uh, like, goes my idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's been <laughs> we done in a few that. places. I did, so you know, D. D. De- de- yeah. de- yeah. Modern yeah. did it. You know what I, what I got mean. Um, yeah, J
6: yeah, is the one yeah. who has the, the key, key that lasts five. Oh, yeah, I think Craig's going to um, go take a look at it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, Holy cow, that was like the fastest time, right? I know, right? Oh, it's blue. All it the panels today are flying. Yeah, it's like Sunday and we're just uh. like throwing way, things so out there as quickly as you possibly to say
3: goodbye?
1: I have <laughs> yeah, one more so panel and I have no idea where I'm going. Julian, help me. I have my uh, so schedule. Your
6: schedule. schedule. <laughs> <laughs> schedule. Like Crap. I have, but I also have a smartphone.
1: Yeah, I need to go to the education panel and I don't know where it is. Does anybody have a written schedule on them of places where things are? I do. Please, God, help me figure out where I'm going because I lost mine earlier and I'm... Yeah, let's do it outside. And then I will look at yeah, I'm supposed to go to the games and education panel. I will and go take play. a look. 30 seconds to get there. I may not see you again. Yes. Hugging is good? Okay. Find me online. You want to yes. talk more? I don't know. Yes. I don't know for it's just like this. That? Yes. Okay, that's right. Yes. Um, hugging? Hugging. Hugging. Thank you so much. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll be back working soon. see you on
6: through. Friday or Saturday. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be fine. Don't forget, bring in a box
1: for your own stuff because you're going to look oh, yes. my room. Um, 100%.
3: There is so much stuff to loot. I gave away
1: 40 stuffed animals, so like I'm taking like eight. So there's so much to
6: loot. i has got all my stuff.
1: I might message uh, sure. a stuff. Anytime, anytime. any Understand that I might be a little slow to respond no, to the next one, because the move is gonna kill me otherwise. So I might offer myself a
0: break. <laughs>